timed it just right, but apparently I didn't. <clears throat> so, um, I, am, um, I am not a big Tom Cruise fan, um, but I do like his movies. And I, I love the Mission Impossible movies. And, and, I lo- and, I just, and my parents watched that when I was a kid, and so I grew up watching that with them. And, and I just, I love that, you know, though, in every movie it's life and death, the world's hanging in the balance. Um, it, it, and in every movie starts basically the same. It starts with this amazingly difficult mission, life and death and all that, right? And he gets the mission in some weird place. But then he always says this. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. Which means, he doesn't have to accept it. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, means if it gets too tough, you can stop. If it makes you uncomfortable, you can stop. If you really don't feel like doing it, you don't have to. And I think that sometimes... That's how we as Christians approach the mission of the church. I think sometimes we kind of act like we're, we kind of treat it like we're, we're you know, we're a, a character and it's, we have this mission, but we don't really have to do it if we don't want to do it. That we can do it if we want to, but if we really don't want to, eh, you know, it's okay. What I'm here to tell you is if you're a Christian, there's a mission we've all been called to. As his church, both individually, corporately, collectively together. I have an ownership of this mission. You have ownership. We have to take ownership of this mission. We've all been called to an amazing purpose. And we don't have a choice. Now, we live in this world, and I understand we have free will, and I mean, I I get that. But the truth is, we don't have a choice. Because when you accept Christ, you accept Him on His terms. And so when you become a Christian, you, you became a Christian on not your terms, not my terms, but on his terms. And his terms are really simple, and that is a simple truth. And that is the mission predetermines every course of action. Everything we do is about the mission. Everything. And if we don't get the mission right, then nothing else matters. And what you're going to find out, if you haven't figured it out yet, There are a lot of things that are important to me. There is one thing when it comes to the church that's more important than anything else. Because it's the one thing, if we don't get it right, none of the rest of the stuff matters. It's why, in America, today, somewhere, a church is having its last service. Every Sunday, United States of America, every Sunday, a church closes. Every Sunday, a church gathers, they have their worship service, they go home, they lock the doors, and they walk away every week. I believe it's because we think we have a choice when it comes to the mission. I believe it's because we think we can reprioritize the calling of Christ. And so let's make it really clear, okay, just so we really understand where we're coming from, and that's this. The mission of Jesus is really simple. In His words, and His mission is our mission, right? I mean, that's what we talked about the first three weeks we were together. You know, His mission is our mission. And so His mission is simple. Luke 19 says it this way. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That's His mission. Period. He did a lot of other amazing things. 
taught some amazing uh, lessons, loved people, did miracles, but his mission was to seek and to save. That's his mission. Now, sometimes in the church, this is, and I think this is where the disconnect is, and I think this is where we kind of get messed up. Because one of the things I hear in the church all the time is our job is to seek and save people. That's not true. Half of it's true. But half of it's not. And so here's where the mission of Jesus differs for our mission. So, so there's three things we're going to talk about, okay, just real quick. Here's the first thing. The first thing you need to understand where there's a difference in the calling of Christ and our calling is this. Jesus literally saves people. We don't. You can save someone from drowning. You can save someone from making a horrible decision. You can save someone from, you know, from, from a bad clothing choice. I mean, you can't save me, but I mean, you can save some people. But you can't save anybody from hell. You can't do it. I can't do it. We can't do it. It is not my job to save people. It's Jesus' job to save people. Period. Which takes us to the next thing we need to understand. That's, it's not the church's job to save people. It's, it's not our job. Now, I know right now some of you are going, uh, where in the world is he going from? But just hang with me for a second, okay? Because if only Jesus saves, it's the church, that's us, we can't save people. We, we, we can't do it. So why are we here? So why are we gathered? So here's our role, and this is really simple. It's the job of the church to connect people to Jesus. That's our job. To seek and to connect. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We came to seek and connect people to Jesus so they can be saved. That's our mission. That's our job. That's our responsibility. That is the one thing in the world of the church. It's really simple. If you don't do that, at some point in time, you close your doors. And it's as simple as that. So the way that we say it around here is simply this. We say that we're here, we are connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Because that's what we're here for. We're here to connect people to Jesus. That's our purpose. Connect people to Jesus so they can grow in Christ, so they can anchor to Him, so, they can, so He can save them. And at the same time, we want to be connected to people. These things are matter. And so we're going to talk about a question. We're going to answer a question for the next, almost all the way up till um, Thanksgiving week. And here's the, real, here's the good and the bad news. Where we start today, we're going to end up when this is over. So we're going to begin here, and we're going to end right back here in, in a few weeks down the road, okay? So, if you're thinking, I don't have to be here that week, I'm not going to tell you when it is, so you have to come, all right? So you'll know when you get here, and you can't leave once you're here. It doesn't work that way, all right? So here's the question, and it's really simple. And this is a kingdom dream question. And, and you know, we talked about this kingdom dream. We talked about how God's called His church to a kingdom dream. But we're going we're gonna to talk today about what that looks like. We're going to unpack that today. Because I believe this with all my heart. But here's your role. And here's my role. Here's our role. Answer this question. Ready? Here it is. Who's your one? That's it. Who's your one? Who's your one person? Who's your person who's lost? 
Who's your person who needs to discover life in Christ? Who's your person who maybe they're, they've, uh, they've had a life in Christ, but they've made some horrible choices in their life, and they're drifting further and further away from Christ because they're drifting further and further away from His church. Folks, going to church doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't make you a better person. You can come to church every week and blow in and blow out, talk to people, be nice, and it cannot change your life. That's a fact. You know what this place is? In a world that is like a deep ocean, it's an anchor. And it keeps you grounded. It keeps you connected. It reminds you that there are other people who are going through what you're going through. So coming to church doesn't make you better. Coming to church keeps us connected, and coming to church keeps us accountable to this idea of who is your one. And so we are going to spend most of the next few weeks in two chapters of the Bible. And we're going to start here today, and we're going to end somewhere along the way. All right, Two chapters in the Bible that I believe are the most important chapters in the Bible when it comes to the church. Two chapters that clearly define what a kingdom dream looks like, what our role in that is. It's Matthew 25 and Luke 15. And we're going to camp out here in Matthew 25 today for the most part. All right. Matthew 25, it, it teaches a, an amazing principle. And, and Matthew 25 talks about the urgency of the return of Christ. Okay, that's what Matthew 25 is about, that Jesus is coming back. Luke 15 says, until then, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, it's simple. If you only read two chapters in your Bible this week, and I hope you read more, but if you only read two, read those two. Read those two. And so we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin in verse 14. And when we, we look at this, this is, these are kingdom parables. And kingdom parables are these parables where Jesus would tell, where he would talk about the master, and the master represents he or represents God. We always look at Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14, we always talk about money. I'm here to tell you this is not about money. This is about the church. This is not about investing in retirement. This is about the church. This is a picture of what a kingdom dream looks like this is what god i believe desires for his church pure and simple okay so here we go again because he's just told another one the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip he called together his servants trusted his money to them while he was gone he gave five bags of silver to one or your bible may say gold and that's fine uh two bags to another and one to one dividing it in proportion and here's the key to their abilities and that's the important key here, to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So, let's talk about this for a second before we go on, all right? And forgive me, but my throat is really dry. So, the master is going on a trip. And so he gives, pulls three of his servants in, and he gives one five bags of silver or gold, depends on your translation. Uh, he gives one two, and he gives one one. But the key is... The guy that gets five, gets five because of his abilities. Proportionate to his abilities. The guy that gets two, same deal. The guy that gets one, same deal. It's not that he likes one guy more than another. It's like, I have observed you. I see where you're at. I see what you're doing. I see how you, and, and so you get five, you get two, and you get one. All right? So, that's where we start. Let's continue on. 
Verse 16. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one uh, bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now we're going to talk about him in just a minute. We're going to talk about the first two guys for the most part. So there's some gaps that need to be filled. Master's going on a trip. You go on a trip, you always come back, right? We left Tuesday night for St. Augustine. We left Wednesday morning for Orlando. We came back Friday from, from Orlando. With tears in my eyes came back from Orlando Friday. All right? But when you go on a trip, you come home. When you go on vacation, you go home. If you're moving, you move. But if you're going away for a while, you always come back. And what's clearly understood to these servants is at least two of them is the master is going to leave the master is going to come back and when he comes back we owe him an explanation for what he's given us we're accountable for what he's blessed us with so the guy that got five bags of silver it says he went to work and he earned five more so he turned five into ten pretty simple right I mean, math ain't my strong suit, but I can do little math, right? So the guy with two had two, and he turned it into four. We'll get to the third guy in a minute. What they understood was the master was coming back. They understood that. And they were accountable for what they'd been blessed with. So, when Jesus says in Matthew 28... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach, them, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Be sure of this, I am with you to the end of the age. And when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And down in verse 11, when Jesus ascended into heaven, and the disciples are standing there looking like this, and the angel appeared and said these words, Why are you standing here standing, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. In other words, Jesus has gone on a trip. Allah the Master. But someday, He will return from heaven in the same way you saw Him go. So here's the deal. If we understand that Jesus is going to come back, Right? He's gone away. He's coming back to get us. And he's, getting, he's going to take us home, or at least that's the plan, right? Here's the question that this parable teaches us. Do you live your life with the urgency and reality that the King of Kings will return? Let me say it again. Do you live your life with the urgency and the reality that the King of Kings will return? Because Matthew 25 teaches us, you better. You better. Two servants understood the master was coming back. And when he came back, they'd be accountable. They went to work. And what we learn in Matthew 25 is, is really simple. And it's a principle. It says there's a connection between God's blessing and our commitment to the mission. There's a connection between 
our commitment to the mission and God's blessing. They fit together. So here's the deal. Why does why in America is the church closed every week? Because people have forgotten that. And I'm just being honest. And I'm not being judgmental. That's reality. Why the, does the bride of Christ and the local community shut down? Because there's a connection between the urgency of the mission, our commitment to the mission, and God's blessing. And here's the tough words. When we give up on the mission, God takes his blessing some other place. How else can you explain it? When we give up on the mission, when we give up on the urgency of the return of Christ, he moves on. How else can you explain that? The other thing this parable teaches us is we kind of, kind of in broad strokes, and we kind of bring it back together, is everyone's not blessed proportionally. And that's on purpose. And that has to do with us. And that's a fact. Everyone's not blessed proportionally. Every church is not blessed the same. Every human being is not blessed the same. Every family is not blessed the same. Doesn't mean they're not blessed. It just means in a different way, in a measure to our commitment to the kingdom of God, we're blessed proportionally. The master came back. Because the master comes back, right? And when the master came back, the guy who got five bags of silver went to the master and he said, look, you gave me five. I'm giving you ten. I'm giving back to you what you have blessed me with, in addition to that which you did not give me before. It's all yours. So when you say this is about money, if this is about money, you've got to give all your money to God. If this is about something different, there's something else going on. And so the guy with two said, look, you gave me two. I went to work, turned it into four. And here you go. And to both the guy with five and the guy with four, the master said the same words. And these are the words where he said, verse 23, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. Now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. He didn't say to the guy with two, You've been more like this other guy, I've given you more. He didn't say to the guy with five, look, I gave you more because you're a lot better than these folks. His response to the guy with five, who turned it into ten, his response to the guy with two, who turned it into four, was exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. There's no proportion in God's blessing. We are blessed proportionally in how God blesses us, but his response, our response to his blessing is the same. Well done. Way to go. And I don't know about you, but one day that's what I'll hear Jesus say to me. Well done. Way to go. boy. However he's going to say it. Whatever it sounds like, that's what I want to hear. What I don't want to hear is what happened to the third guy. So let's talk about the third guy. So the third guy, he went and dug a hole. Right? I mean, we know that. Let me tell you why he dug a hole. If you kind of study uh, biblical history, here's kind of how the world worked back then. If you wanted to make sure something belonged to you, 
You didn't hide it in your house. There was no such thing as, as a, the banks. You know, this is... So what you did was you dug a hole and you hoped that no one else found it. You hoped that everyone forgot about it. Because when you went to reclaim it, it belonged to you. And so what we understand is this guy took what the master gave him, wasn't sure if the master would come back or not, dug a hole in the ground because he wanted to keep what the master had given him. He wanted to treat what belonged to the master as if it belonged to him. And there's a real danger when we treat the church like it belongs to us instead of like it belongs to Christ. There's a real danger when we have to, when, when my way is more important than anything else, and if I have, and I'm not giving up anything if I have to give up my way. I'm telling you, I've seen firsthand. I've seen it on two occasions, personally witnessed it on two occasions. What happens when individual or individuals treat the church like it belongs to them and they grab it with a death grip and they will not let go? And I've seen what happens when the church allows people to treat the church as if it belongs to them. And let me tell you what happens. Buildings close. Doors are locked and people have to go find another place to worship. That's what happens. That's how that story always ends. The master said, take this. They all knew they were coming back. But the one guy, eh, we'll see what happens. He forgot that what he'd been given belonged to the master. So here's his response. Verse 24. The ma- then the servant with the ba- one bag of silver came back and said, which by the way, if you study history, everything that comes out of his mouth is about to be a lie. Okay? Because he knew the master was coming back. And he knew what was expected of him because the other two guys knew what was expected of them. Okay? He knew what was expected. Master, I knew you were a horse man. Harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Here's your money back. You know what the master knew when he heard I hid it in the earth? He knew, no, you wanted that. You thought that was yours. His mission was clear. He gave you one. Add to that. Turn it to two. And had he done that, you know what the master would have said? Well done, way to go, boy. that's what I'm talking about. But instead, this is what the master said. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why, did you deposit, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. In other words, why would you treat it like it belonged to you? And forget that it belonged to to me the parable teaches a really important principle the parable is a picture of what a kingdom dream looks like so this is what a kingdom dream looks like so we're going to talk in simple math and we'll talk about it in broader strokes real quick all right if you have five turn it to ten that's that's it if you have two Turn it to four. 
If you have one, turn it to two. If you have 100, turn it to 200. If you have 200, turn it to 400. If you have 400, turn it to 800. And you keep doing that until the Lord comes back. It's not about a number. It is about a principle. And the principle is that God's church belongs to Him. And Matthew 25 teaches us that we have an obligation to work, work, and work and double the investment the Master has made in us. It's not about a number. It's about a principle. So, you want to know what a kingdom dream looks like? It's really simple. And in, in broad terms, and then we'll say what it means. The last seven weeks, we've averaged about 100. Turn that to 200. Baptize people in the Christ. Reconnect people to the church. Anchor drifting people who are going through life, hurting and struggling. Find broken people who think there's no hope for them and tell them that there's a place where there is hope for them. Turn 102. That's it. That's a kingdom dream. Spent three weeks talking about kingdom dreams. I told you we'd talk about it in greater detail. This is it. Matthew 25 is, really, Matthew 25 is as clear as clear can be. Turn 5 to 10, 2 to 4, 1 to 2, 100 to 200, and so forth and so on and so on. So here's the question. How do I do that? How do I do that? It's really simple. You answer the question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's the one person in your life who is, needs to discover a life in Christ? Who's the one person in your life who's drifting through life? Who's the one person in life who needs to be anchored? To the church? Who's your one? Here's what I know. I've lived here for seven weeks, eight weeks, something like that. If I were keeping score, and I'm not, but I know I've, and I have talked to double-digit number of people at the church in seven weeks. Invited them here. Some go to church some other place. Some I'm waiting to show up. And I know it's easy to say, well, that's your job. No, that's our job. That's our job. Who's your one? Your one allows you to take ownership of the mission of the church. When you find a one in your life, a family member, a friend, a co-worker, someone you meet at the park, wherever you're at, someone in your life who needs to discover a life in Christ. Your job my job is that person. And then I can move on. It's easy. Find my one, help them find a life in Christ, and move on from there, find another one. But my one turns to two. That two turns to four. That four, you see how it works? I can't reach 100 people. I can reach one. You can't reach 100 people. You, you can't do it. But you can find one. Who's your one? This is, and this is the big thing. We're going to talk about this for the next five or six weeks. If we don't get this right, it doesn't matter what we build. It doesn't matter what we plan. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter. If we don't get this right. And that's, that's just the truth. That's why I moved here. Because your leaders 
convinced me in their own way that that's what we wanted to do. That's why I'm here. This is it. So what's it going to mean looking forward? We're going to talk about a lot of things in the future, in the next few weeks. So let me just say this. It means everything can't stay the same. It means at some point in time in the near future, we're going to start doing some things different. It means we can start thinking different. It means we may have to start re-evaluating some things that we're doing, evaluate some things that we're not doing. But here's what it doesn't mean. We can't wait until we move out to the four lane. It starts today with us right here because we're here until we're not. We're here until we're not. So if you're thinking, well, that sounds really great when we get out to the four lane, we'll really do that. No, 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 no. The urgency of the mission begins right here and right now when we walk out the doors, however you walk out. We'll talk about in the next few weeks about some specific things. But here's the thing I want you to start praying about. The one thing you can do for it. The one thing you can do for the sake of the mission. And it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Pet peeve of pet peeves is for someone to come to me and say, that sounds great for the young people. I'm going to go, are you dead yet? Because <laughs> if we're talking, you ain't dead yet. And for someone to go, man, that sounds great for the older people. Really? You're going to wait until old? And then you've got to have that awkward conversation about what is old. And when some kid tells you 30 is old, then that's horrible. Especially when you're way past that. Here's what I know. The guy with five risked everything. He risked the five to turn it to ten. The guy with two risked everything to turn it to four. The guy with one risked nothing. So do you want to hear well done or wicked and lazy? I'm a well done kind of guy. I don't know about you. So here's a question. We're closing with this. It's really simple. Who's your one? Do you have a one? And here's the hard question. If you don't have a one and you're a Christian, why not? Why not? Father, we are... Um, um, you have made it really clear the urgency of your mission. It's clear as clear can be. We exist because lost people matter more than anybody else on the planet. They're the most important people to you because that's who you gave your life for. And all of us who are found used to be lost. All of us who are found used to be lost. I think sometimes we forget that. All of us have someone in our life, a parent, a friend, a grandparent, a co-worker, a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a small group leader, somebody invested in us and helped lead us to you. I think we forget that sometimes. The mission is about me doubling me. That's my mission, me doubling me. And if we all do that, and we can fulfill kingdom dreams, do amazing things for your kingdom, change Sylvania, Georgia, change Scrabbing County, make a real difference in people's lives. But it all starts if we were courageously Seek a one. That's my prayer, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to have a time.